0: In a world of change, because we live in a world of change more than ever before, the learners shall inherit the earth, while the learned shall find themselves perfectly suited for a world that no longer exists. That should be the argument that you must
1: continuously improve and grow. Every leader faces challenges on a daily basis. And the way we navigate those challenges can make a deep and lasting impact for time and eternity we're helping leaders discover practical tools based on biblical principles and helping you create like-minded communities who will walk with you as you lead your organization to health. Welcome to the Healthy Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Healthy Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Hartzell, and I'm very pleased to be with you today. Our podcast topic is continuous improvement and growth, and uh, this, is, this is a really intense uh, topic. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stories. Uh, Phil, you've had a lot of experiences, a lot of, a lot of trial and error. And uh, I, I think one of the things that you and I talk about a lot is, uh, especially in the beginning when we started working together, getting to that point, we, I think you call it GetMo, good enough to move on. Where you get to a point in a project where you're like, you know what, it's good enough to move on. Let's 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 just not over-engineer this thing and and just launch or just go live with it and then continue to improve it. And that's been really helpful for me in a lot of areas of my business and and in my personal life. Where I I, I found and I know this is true because a lot of people my age feel this way. We, we tend to get to us, um, super excited, especially if you're an entrepreneur, we get excited about, uh, something we're working on and we want to make it perfect so that when we put it out in the world, everyone sees this amazing, perfect thing. And, uh, we're afraid a lot of times to just let it go and, and then, and then develop and grow it. So, um, that it's it's a kind of a mindset shift, and it definitely is something that's helped me a lot. And we have a lot of notes today to go through, um, and hopefully by the end of this, that you'll have an, an understanding of how to apply uh, some key principles to your personal life, your business life, your marriage, all of these things, um, and and always working on improving every area of your life. And and Phil, I think you've got some practical tools for that, so. Guys, thanks for being with us on the podcast. And Phil, I'm going to let you take this one away.
0: Yeah, thanks, Peter. So I'm going to tell a bunch of stories and try to weave this whole thing together and, and, and tie it all together in a nice bow and deliver it by the end. But it, it really, it started back in, in 1969, I'm to, the first story I want to tell you. So I worked for International Harvester in Melrose Park, Illinois, and they put me on the midnight shift and I was running a, a big lathe that, that machined engine parts for big diesel engines. And so it was only about five of us that worked the midnight shift. And uh, so one of the guys explained to me, he said, if you set up, when, you, when you're when you at this lathe, if you set the, the parts that you're working on, put them where you don't have to reach for them. And, and then set up the, the tools on your lathe so that the next click on the lathe, the lathe had multiple heads, so that the next click on the lathe is the next tool you need. And find every way you can to where you can just work without having to move, without any motion, without any strain on your back. And if you can do that, you can get more done in less time. Well, we worked for the union and Unions have these things called quotas, so we weren't allowed to do more than so much in a shift. Uh, Because if we did, we'd get in trouble with the union. They'd come back and do a time study, and then they'd say, instead of one hundred parts a night, you have to, or in a shift, you have to do one hundred and twenty. So we had to stay within the quota. So I usually got, uh, I got to so efficient that I got eight hours worth of work done in five, and uh, we just hung out the rest of the night. We'd take naps and hang out and just kind of have a good time, which um, I guess that was okay back then. But anyways, that's where I learned that that whole thing. And what I want to do is share with you that this is something that you do in your personal life, your business life, in every area of your life, in your marriage. You You need to be constantly working toward improving everything. So if you think of It's not about perfection. It's about growth and maturity. So think of a tree. A tree is never perfect. It's just always maturing. So we're not machines. We're not things. We're living things. So we're constantly looking for how can we mature, mature ourselves out. So uh, as I was meditating um, yesterday, and then my wife and I were sitting on the porch today, I just had this incredible awareness That everybody on the planet is is seeking wholeness. All of us are seeking wholeness, both collectively and individually. And that's why we're constantly complaining about what's wrong and what we need to improve. But most people, uh, uh, they try to find their wholeness in things that really don't make them whole, like blaming somebody else. Um, You blame somebody else for your problems, and that's supposed to make you whole. Uh, Taking drugs, drinking too much, um, uh, doing things that really don't make you whole. And and I just want to put in a plug for God here that only if you take God's way of becoming complete, that's the only way that's really going to work. So we're going to get more into that later. But anyways, as I was looking for a career, oh, this would have been back in about 1976 or so. 1977. We lived across the road from a a 3,000 acre Boy Scout camp. And the guy who was the Scoutmaster had taken me under his wing. He had mentored me and just taught me a lot of life's lessons. He's actually, it's 2022 right now, and he's actually still alive. He's about 95 years old. But he was a block layer. And my original desire was not to build cabinets. I wanted to be a mason. I wanted to lay blocks and and bricks and stones, and so he told me. Uh, he, he taught me. Uh, he said, every day when you go to work, look for some way to save a move. So that just—that's what makes it really makes it exciting. And he could lay, I don't know how many, a couple of hundred blocks in one day. And when you watched him working, it didn't even look like he was working. He kept his try. His trowel never left his right hand, and he laid the blocks with his left hand. And he just, it just looked like he was going so slow, but at the end of the day, he got a lot of stuff done. And so that's what I learned. And, and then as I got into business, I discovered that, that the companies that make it are the ones that are constantly improving. Uh, you look at, uh, look at phones, look at cars, look at, at restaurants. Every time you buy something, every time you buy a product or service – you don't really think about it, but you want to know that it's a little bit better than the last time. And that's really what makes life worth living. You go to the gym, you start out with light weights, but you're constantly challenging yourself to go to more and more weights. You always want to be getting better. You don't want to be stalled. And in fact I've seen musicians from back in the 70s and they're still playing the same old songs. They never reinvented themselves. So you're constantly you're either getting better or you're you're basically just dying out. And, and that's really about the only way, that's what makes life worth living. And it's the only way you're going to make it in the marketplace. So uh, I, I just, uh, what reminded me, what actually stimulated me or inspired me to do this podcast is this last weekend, we spent, the, we spent it with my son and his daughter and our three grandchildren. And my one little granddaughter, She's my wife is trying to teach her how to swim. And so, but she was terrified of the water. So my wife took her and she put her nose, He just touched the water with the tip of her nose. So it's, you know, the old way, you just threw them in the water and it was sink or swim. But that, you know, that's, that really didn't work. Maybe it did sometimes, but w- this is a little bit better way. So she touched the water with the tip of her nose and then she pinched her nose and put her nose in. And then she put a little more of her nose in And then she kept putting just a little, and I told her, I said, Zoe, just put a little bit more of your face in, just a tiny little bit each time. And so she kept doing it. And before long, her whole head was underwater. And then we said, okay, now when you put your head underwater, just hold your head underwater just for a little more, a few more seconds. And so that's that when I saw that, I go, yeah, you know, we need to do this podcast on continuous improvement. Because in my coaching practice, that's pretty much what I do is I teach people how to create a plan that is constantly improving. So back in, in 19, around 1950, there was a man named Edwards Deming who went to Japan. He actually went to America. It was right after World War II. And he told the Americans he said, You are not the number one manufacturing nation in the world. You might think you are because uh, because you helped win the war. And so a lot of nations are patronizing you, and also because you're one of the only manufacturing nations in the world that didn't have your factories blown up. And they didn't believe him. So he went to Japan. The least likely place. Here's a country that is in debt. They're hated, a lot of their, their people are dead. Uh, their, their factories have been blown up. I mean, they were blown to smithereens. And he, he taught them this thing called lean manufacturing. And it, it's, a, it's just a way of continuous improvement. Now, Edwards Deming was not a visionary. He was a statistician. And he could prove mathematically that this stuff actually worked. So he came up with these 14 points that he taught. And he taught about identifying different wastes and eliminating waste. And so I remember when I was a boy that Japanese stuff was considered to be junk. But the Japanese just patiently just continued to improve their stuff and improve their stuff. And by the 1990s, people were buying Japanese vehicles and they were, they were ignoring the American vehicles. So there was a... Uh, there were some uh, American manufacturers that went over to Japan to see what they were doing and the Japanese showed them everything they were doing and then there was a news special that said if Japan can why can't we and so they finally caught on that hey we need to keep we need to start improving stuff being continuous improvement so so Edwards Deming uh, he was actually the father of lean manufacturing and the father of uh, of continuous improvement so I wanna talk a little bit about how do you improve and what do you improve? And, and as you think of this thing about everything seeking wholeness and everyone is seeking wholeness. So what you wanna be looking at in your company and in your personal life and in your marriage is look for the areas in, your, in there, in, in your, both individually and collectively that are weak. Stephen Covey came up with this thing called a life wheel. And it's divided into seven or eight segments. And each segment is a, is a, is a segment of your life. And so you want to, uh, you just score each segment on how well you're doing in that part of your life. It could be your spiritual life, your, your emotional life, your relational life, your financial life. And so you look at that and the areas that are the weakest, that's where you want to work on. So if you think of that in your company, you divide your company into sections or segments and you can divide it however you want. And then you want to score it. Like, what is the thing that is, 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 is the weakest part of, of our company? Um, uh, when we do a plan, an annual plan, we want to know what is the, the biggest thing that you need to be working on right now to make your company more whole. Think of that in your personal life. Think about that in your marriage. And so, one thing that, that I did is, so th- this is a whole, really a whole way of life in, in, a, uh, in a workplace because workers typically will resist change. And people are afraid of, uh, they're afraid that if, if you bring change that they're going to lose their job. So one thing we did was we kept a healthy, continuous tension of change. It was healthy tension of improvements so we kept a list of things that needed to improve, and then we were always bringing something in and not improving too fast. If you if there's t- if you have a lot of improvements and you try to make them too fast and too many at one time, you're going to you're going to cause trouble. You're going to you're going to hemorrhage your company. You're going to things are going to start to fall apart. But if things are not fast enough, then you're going to become flabby. So something I learned years ago in, in creating a plan, a growth plan, is you start with, uh, this is actually done on a flip chart where you write at the top uh, where you want to end up and right at the bottom what your current reality is. And then, and then you create a map that, that takes you from where your current reality is to where you want to end up to a better world. And the lady who taught us to do that, she talked about the gap between where you are and where you want to go. And she talked about the tension in the gap. And so you want to mention, you want to manage the tension in that gap. So if you think of that gap as being a violin, and if you if you tune a violin too tight, you're going to break strings. You might even break the violin. If you don't tune it tight enough, it's not going to make very pretty music. So you actually develop almost an intuition where you start, knowing when you have just the right amount of tension between where you are and where you want to be or the right amount of tension of improvements so and the reason you do that for there's two reasons that i can think of and there's probably many more but but your customers your vendors your employees everybody is going to be blessed because you're constantly getting better You're you're not making these big surges of getting better and then you flatline and you surge and get better. It's just going to be a constant, continuous growth of getting better. And then the second thing, like I said, is that workers resist change. So if if you create a culture of change, if you create a lifestyle of change, then if you hit a crisis or a downturn, you already have the forward momentum of change. And you're ready. So if if, if, you're in a, in a, if your organization, your workers resist change and a, and a crisis or a downturn hits, it could be fatal because they don't want to change and they're going to resist that change. So one of the things I always told my workers is if you work yourself out of a job, I will give your job to the person who won't. Because continuous improvement, what that does is it does eliminate jobs. It it always worked that way. When we embraced that philosophy, we never had to let a good person go.
1: I think what's interesting about this this idea too is it's it's very practical. It's like obvious. It seems like obvious practical advice. Like, and you you made a point a minute ago where you said it, this is what makes living life kind of worth living or, or whatever is giving your giving yourself a job. And when you said that, I was thinking about um, my dog who you you've met. Uh, and my dog is um, kind of in the shepherd family, and he's the kind of dog that he needs to have a job. and most dogs are this way, but he's definitely that way. He needs to have a job. If he doesn't have a job, he gets destructive. He's, he tears up pillows and he you know is just out of control. And so, as soon as we assign him something to do, then he locks in and he focuses on it, and he doesn't get destructive. um, As long as we're exercising him and all that, and and but then, as soon as he gets stagnant or just sits around and we're not, you know, working with him or or whatever, then that's when the problems come up. And so, it kind of is similar. It seems to me like when problems arise in your personal life, uh, maybe it's because you're focusing. A lot more of your energy on uh, the areas that are maybe you're already pretty strong in. Because we tend to not want to internalize and look at the areas where we have weakness. It exposes our weakness. We don't like feeling vulnerable. But mm-hmm. if we're willing to turn, you know, like you said, have your chart, score your different areas of your life, and then say, man, there's some areas where I need to improve. And it's okay to acknowledge that I've got weak points in my life. That's the only way that I'm going to get stronger. If we do that on a consistent basis, then we're less afraid of change, like you said, you had employees were afraid of change because they didn't want to lose their job. but if you're if you're actually embrace the idea of change because change represents improvement, not uh, not a uh, maybe a scaling back or whatever, but actually a, if change represents something positive, then we're going to be mm-hmm. like m- our motion is going to be in that direction we're We're all moving together towards improvement not just individually, but collectively.
0: Yeah, and you know, I learned this the hard way because when I first started my career in woodworking, I I was really like, I was frustrated that I had to continuously improve because I just wished that I could come up, uh, that I had lived in the way back in the old days when I had a blacksmith shop and I made the same horseshoes every year for the same people. But then I realized what happens today is if you make the same horseshoes every year for the same people, somebody's going to come in and build a factory that makes the same horseshoes for the same people. And then somebody else is going to go to China and and find someone else who does it. And basically, you're going to be selling horseshoes. And someone else is going to come in, and they're going to make a better horseshoe every year than what you're making. So I had to just go with it. I mean, it was it was more of a of a pain thing that I really didn't want it. I really wanted a life that was just really pretty boring. But now that I got into the change, the life of change at 72, I just love it. I mean I have I have a personal growth plan. So I, I help people companies create their their company growth plans. I have a personal growth plan and in it I have all the areas where I believe I need to grow. I even have areas where my character needs to improve and and I'll tell you Peter it's a you create an entire culture around it it's not just like an add on but it's it's a whole way of thinking like when edwards deming implemented lean manufacturing he said you've got to it's a whole way of thinking so you've got to change your way of thinking in order to do this you can't just add a few of the the lean tools into your current way of thinking and it's a a growth mindset is just a whole different way of thinking. So it's not an add-on. And if, if you want some good references for that, you could look up John Cotter, K-O-T-T-E-R, who taught change management for around 50 years at um, at Harvard. Or or you could look up Two Second Lean. Uh, there again, it's, it's constantly making like improvements at our company. We had people... Uh, we taught them how to make improvements, how to look for things to improve. Then they would make an improvement and make a short video. And then every week we would sh- show the videos. And when I retired, we had over 600 videos.
1: How much, do you know roughly how much time, I'm sure you had the accounting on it, but how much time that saved you over the life of, since you implemented that program, how much time and how many dollars that saved you as a company?
0: I don't know the total, but I can give you one example. And I'll tell you, like, once you make an improvement, you've got that improvement from now on. So the first time we did a lean event was in about, it was in around 2007, where I actually tracked things. And we had we were hiring lean consultants, and they would just come in and put us to sleep. And my wife said, "Yeah, we were about to lose our company." And my wife said, "Look, why don't we read the books and figure it out for ourselves?" So we did, and and we we created some of our own language around it. I'll share some of that language in in a minute, but. Uh, so what we did was we created an event. So the the lean, like the deming lean is where you create these events called kaizen events. And you basically just take a week or two off and you re you revamp your entire operation. So you look for ways to to make things flow in the right direction with the least amount of, of waste and resistance. And, and obstacles. And so I went around the plant and I had each of them tell me what they would change. And most of the changes didn't cost any money. And at the end of the week, we had about 700 hours invested, but we calculated that we were going to save 5,000 hours a year. Wow. So it took us a couple of months to catch up on those 700 hours that it cost us. But that 5,000 hours a year that we saved, we saved it from that point on. Yeah. So what if you have a culture that's constantly improving and each, each, all the time you're constantly saving that whatever you're saving, where once you make a change, you keep that change from now on. It may have taken you a couple hours to make it. So I'm going to give you a very broad theory and please, you accountants, don't hold me to this. <laughs> but if a healthy company is going to make roughly 6% net profit. So I often would ask employees, how much does a company keep of all of what they sell? So if we sell a hundred dollars worth of, of material, how much do we keep? And some would say 50%. Some would say 20%. Some would say whatever, 15. The truth is that a healthy company needs to keep between six and $8 for every hundred dollars that they, they take in in sales. Well, think about this. and, And again, this is a broad theory. So don't, don't be calling me and, and being exacting with me about fixed costs and all that. But but theoretically, that every time you save eight dollars, that's hundred dollars less sales that you need to generate.
1: Whoa. whoa. Okay. So I can it, I can hear the, I can hear the emails now though. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's a, that's a I, yeah I never considered. that. I mean, that. don't make pick
0: thing. me down to the fixed sure. costs and all that. But but theoretically, every time you can find or save me. Eight dollars. That's a hundred dollars less sales that we need to make. That's a hundred dollars less product that we need to make. And so, as you're doing that, because you can't charge more in the marketplace, but as you're doing that, you're gradually reducing the stress load in your company because you're accomplishing more in less time and with less materials. So, whether you're saving it in time or material, you're 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 you're, you're lowering your stress load. And what that does is it effectively gives you more, more time and more attention that you can focus on the customer because you're focusing less time and attention on like looking for tools, looking for inventory, remaking things. So you've got more time and attention to give to the customer. Well, guess what? If you can give more time and attention to the customer, you can serve him quicker with fewer defects. Guess what you can do then? If you can, If you can give the customer quicker service, with fewer defects, then you can raise your price just a little bit. Right. You know, I would rather go to a, a place if I'm going to buy, I would rather go to a place who serves me quickly and accurately than one who's sloppy. Right. And I would pay, I would pay 10 or 20% more. But what if you only charge 5% more? Where does that 5% go? It goes straight to your bottom line. Mm-hmm. So you can gradually raise your prices because you're increasing the value. So it all goes straight to the bottom line. So there is there is really no downside to being in continuous improvement once you understand how to do it. So, you, so I study John Cotter. I, I watched his videos. I took his classes. I read his books. He teaches the right way to create a, an improvement, to, to make change. You start with a very small team who's bought in, and that team starts working the change uh, they start developing the, the, the process and then as they get it developed and, and as they get it to working, they gradually radiate out to the rest of the company. That's basically how it's do it, how they do that. You know, and I could talk more about how to write SOPs, standard operating procedures, and and how to keep it. So our standard operating procedures didn't sit in a drawer collecting dust. They were living documents that we were constantly improving. Um, I could talk about... Um, yeah, how your spiritual life is that way. Um, I recently have gone through some, some pretty difficult things with my mental and emotional health. And I've had a, uh, I have a constant, just a continuous improvement, uh, a, a recovery path that I'm dealing with. And, you know, I work for uh, some of the people I work with that I, I mentor and coach are Amish and Mennonite people. And so they understand how this, this thing works. And we call it a farmer's mindset. So the first thing you have to do is you work the soil and then you plant the right seed, you pray over the bare ground, you cultivate the plants and then trust God for the harvest. And then, and then next year, you want to do it a little bit better than you did it the year before. And you just keep doing that. And, and you're not going to get a return immediately some some things take longer to bring a return but you're constantly sowing in the right direction you're sowing in the direction you want to go so you know if you want a few scriptures I can I can give you Proverbs 4:18 it says the way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn which shines even brighter until the full light of day and and I I know I've been walking with the Lord since 1974 and, and, and I've had ups and downs, but overall, as you, if you track my spiritual growth, it's been an upward trend. And, and my life keeps getting brighter and brighter. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 1.9 that your love may abound more and more in, in knowledge and discernment. And so I, I, I believe that even, and, and especially, loving is the most important thing. And so especially in loving... We need to get better and better at loving, and that love is a skill set that you develop. It's not just a uh, a thing that falls down from heaven. It's it's skills. It's improvements. How can I improve? How can I improve my tone of voice toward my wife? How can I improve uh, my increase my capacity to show unconditional love? How can I increase my capacity to forgive? And so you're constantly working again on growing yourself more and more in every area of your life. Pre- Peter says this. He says, add to your faith virtue into virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And so you basically start with faith and it ends with love. So it's a progression that starts at, at, the, simple, at, the, at the seed, but it ends with love and really all that we're doing in continuous improvement is finding better and better ways to become better versions of ourselves and and to become better versions of our companies so that we can love people better so we can do more for people so i want i want to just want to go back cuz i just i feel really um, just just it just jumped out to me how everyone is seeking wholeness both individually and organizationally And and we need to come up with practical, structured ways to identify where we lack wholeness and then find healthy ways to increase our wholeness instead of using things like anger, drugs, uh, overuse of entertainment, uh, self-medicating, blaming, and just come up with the skill sets of how how to become whole and then make that wholeness even greater. So when you get done working on the thing that needs improvement, then that, what that's going to do is going to cause something else to, that needs more improvement. And so you're constantly creating greater and greater wholeness. So, and I believe that's how we can create workplaces that, that please God.
1: I can't see what I can't see. I don't know what I don't know. And when you have another person that's able to sit down with you and take a look at, um, you know, the things that you sit with on a day-to-day basis, they can look at it from a, a very different perspective and speak into it. It's so helpful. I mean, this is this is why mentorship and and you know personal education and personal development and growth are so important. Um, and the best way or the only way to really um, to, to to fast track that, like you said, Phil, uh, if if your product is more efficient, if it's better quality, that your customers are generally willing to pay more. So you're making an investment today. In yourself, your company, your family, your marriage, um, for six months, a year, five years, ten years, and into the future, down the road. So it's 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 always a good thing to reinvest or to invest Mm -hmm. in your personal development and your personal growth. And looking to people, um, I, I was just watching a webinar this morning, and the the guy talking said, you know, if if you are two steps ahead of somebody else, you know, you've you've done a certain thing you're two steps ahead and there's somebody that's two steps behind you trying to trying to get to where you are, you may not be 10 steps ahead. You may not be you know, a mile ahead of them, but you are two steps ahead. And what you have to teach or what you have to share is valuable to that person because you did it and they want to do it. And so looking for people, like we've talked about mountain guides on this podcast, looking for mountain guides that have been to the top of the mountain and then seeking them out and asking for for help for perspective for mentoring for coaching and uh, that's really what the healthy leaders organization is is here to do to serve you and and help you give you solutions yeah
0: so so people say well if you're making all these improvements where is the money and, and and I'll tell you where the money is it's it, it, as all everything i just said is available it's it's it, it's nothing proprietary to me there's nothing secret it's all out there on the internet and you can do it so what happens is during a downturn, the, the companies that are not constantly improving, they're the ones that go out of business. So it's more of, yeah, where's the money? It, there is good money in it, but it's more of survival. And I want to I finish with a quote by a man named um, Eric Hoffer. He said, in a world of change, the learners shall inherit the earth while the learned shall find themselves perfectly suited for a world that no longer exists. I want to say that again. In a world of change, because we live in a world of change more than ever before, the learners shall inherit the earth, while the learned shall find themselves perfectly suited for a world that no longer exists. So that if, if, if anything, if you want to stay in business, that should be the argument. That you must continuously
1: improve and grow. That is such an amazing quote, and that's you know that's what we strive to in in our personal lives and our businesses to always be learning and growing and constantly improving. And uh, we want to help you. So if you're sitting there saying, "Yes, I need help. (laughs) I need I need to start." continually improving in all areas of my life too. go to healthy-leaders.org and you can, you can click, there's a link on there. You can click to reach out to Phil. Um, we've got a little form on there. You put your information in an email. will go to Phil and then he'll read it. he will uh, email you back. This is no, like, there's no like massive email campaign here going on. This is going to Phil's inbox. Uh, he'll read it and email you back. And if there's, you know, if he feels like there's an area where he can help you grow, um, then you guys will set up a time to to have a call and go from there. So that's we'd love to to hear from you. So thanks for joining us on the Healthy Leaders Podcast today, and we will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Leaders Podcast as we journey together toward healthy biblical leadership. If you're facing a particular challenge in your organization, please visit healthy-leaders.org. We would love to help you lead your organization to health.